in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 13, Solomon says this, all of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for. (laughs) It is a gift of God. Did you hear that? (laughs) Read it again. All of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for. It is a gift of God. What Solomon was saying there is that work is a gift from God. (laughs) You find that a strange thought? This idea that work is a gift that God has given to us? (laughs) See, usually what we, we do, if you know, we think of work kind of as a, almost as a curse, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you work in a home, if you work in an office building, if you uh, uh, work in a school classroom, or, or if you work in a hospital. Work can be a source of great frustration in our lives. During the COVID-9 pandemic, during these past two years, People have quit working in record numbers. Um, it, it has come known, become known as the great resignation. <laughs> you say, well, why did people quit? We've been asking that. Why, why did people quit? Well, the top uh, three reasons that workers left their job um, in the U.S. in 2021, according to Pew Research, was because pay was too low, because workers felt disrespected and, and because they felt there was a lack of opportunity for advancement. I mean, uh, we're all very familiar um, that uh, dealing with difficult customers or uh, serving a demanding boss, that, that, I mean, for all of us, that's a, a major cause of pain, right? <laughs> Tim McGuire, former editor of Minneapolis Star Tribune and and former president of the American Society of Newspaper Editors, is speaking at a a seminar entitled Faith, Religion, and Values. This seminar he he spoke at was 20 years ago, and he said this, work is brutal. Work is a four-letter word. Most people don't think that work could possibly have anything to do with spirituality. They assume that these two worlds cannot mesh. But listen, if we bring our souls to work, then we can transform our work. That is when our work can begin to transform us. The problem for most people is that their work transforms them into something bad, something bitter and tired and broken. So we need to ask, uh, how, how, how does that happen? How can we do that? How can we transform our work, you know? The work we go to on, on Mondays through Fridays, how can we transform our work into something that is not bitter and tired and broken, but rather something that is good? Where we begin to see our, our, our work as God originally created it, as, as, as a gift. How can we bridge the gap in other words, between our Sundays and Mondays. And I got to tell you this, as I look out, you know, that's not only for those who are daily going to jobs, but it's also for those who are retired. This whole idea of how can we 
bridge the gap between our Sundays and our Mondays? Now, those are some of the questions we're going to be looking at. We're going to be trying to answer the next five weeks as we begin this new series that we've titled God at Work. And I hope you'll stay with us during these next five weeks. And I hope we can all learn something a little bit more and get God's perspective on our work. The place I want to start this morning is in Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can take those pew Bibles in front of you. And uh, you can uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Shouldn't be too hard to find. It's right there at the very beginning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, I mean, the story opens with these very familiar words, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, the first glimpse we get of God. As God walks onto the stage, you know what? What we see about God is he's doing what? He's working. He's creating. He's designing. He's, he's engineering. He's inventing. He's sculpting. He's shaping the world. See, God is a worker. Opening line, God created <laughs> God is working. Then look down with me at chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had, had done. Uh, by the seventh day, God has completed his work, okay? So he rests. God is a worker, and since God can do nothing that is not inherently good or else he would, you know, violate his character. And since he calls his work good, it must mean that work has intrinsic value, that um, work is inherently good. And it's not only God's work that has intrinsic value. I want you to notice here, the word that is used here... Um, for work in Genesis chapter 2 is the same word that is um, used for our work in the Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus chapter 20, where God says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. It's the same word. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, and <laughs> Exodus 20. See, our work, it's similar to, to God's work. God's work has value, and so does our God's work has intrinsic worth, and, and, and so does ours. Dr. Lewis Smedes, I think, discovered this truth in, in English Composition 101. In his autobiography, Dr. Lewis Smedes writes about his early years of his faith. A turning point, he said, came as he was a freshman at Calvin College. He, he writes this, The first class of the first day of my first semester was English Composition. The teacher was Jacob Vandenbosch. He introduced me that day to a God the likes of whom I had never even heard about, a God who liked elegant sentences and was offended by dangling modifiers. <laughs> Once you believe this, I mean, then where can you stop? If the maker of the universe admired words well put together, think of how he must love Sound thought well put together. 
And if you love sound thinking, think of how he prized any human effort to bring a foretaste, be it ever so small, of his kingdom of justice and, and peace and happiness to the victimized people of the world. In short, I met the maker of the universe who loved the world he made and was dedicated to its redemption. I found the joy of the Lord, not in a prayer meeting, but in English Composition 101. <laughs> See, I think the God that Dr. Lewis Smeads discovered on that day was the God of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, who loves his work, who's a worker. And we understand that God is a worker, his work is good, and the value then of, of our daily work, when we understand that, the value of our daily work is increased. Now let me make a, a quick side observation at this point. I want you to see this. God's work was the creation of heavens and the earth, right? Yet in the New Testament, specifically in the book of uh, Hebrews, Revelation, it tells us that the world will be shaken and a new heaven and new earth will take its place. In other words, catch this, God's creation, that work he did here in Genesis chapter 1, that that creation will not last forever. Yet we would never say that this work that God did in creation had no value. Here's my point. We oftentimes confuse duration with value. We think that, hey, uh, my work, you know, it, 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 it's short-lived. It, it's not going to last for eternity, so therefore it's not really all that worthy. And we consciously or unconsciously, what happens is we separate our work on Mondays from our spiritual worship on Sundays. I mean, let me ask you, which, which career choice do you think is more important to God? Being a, a pastor or being a truck driver? Being a missionary or being a banker? Being a teacher in a Christian school or being a teacher in a public school? <laughs> Listen, if you are a Christ follower, no matter your career, no matter your vocation, no matter your work, you are in full-time Christian work. Don't make a mistake of saying that one job is more sacred than another. Okay, not only is God a, uh, a worker, but I want you to see that God has created us in his image as workers as well. Look with me at a very familiar passage. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The author here of Genesis wants us to grab, uh, grasp the unique 
place that human beings hold in creation. That we were designed by God to exercise dominion over creation and to reflect God in his good world. And you notice the repeated word he uses here oftentimes, that word image, how oftentimes he repeats that. The point that he's trying to make here is to emphasize the importance of us being image bearers, you and I. Do you realize, if you think about this, there's no other creature on earth that desires to be like God, <laughs> except for image bearers. I mean, just to prove it, I mean, um, next time you go to the Minnesota Zoo or you go to Como Park Zoo, try approaching a polar bear or, or a lion and, and, and tell them, hey, you shall be like God. <laughs> My guess is that if you're lucky enough to escape, um, you know, outside their cages, um, they will only look at you with the indifferent eyes. I mean, with all of their beauty and all their majesty and all of their, all of their power, the world's great animals just, I mean, they don't just give the, they just do not give the slightest evidence, do they? of wanting to be anything else but well-fed versions of what they already are. <laughs> but you and I, we are image bearers. I mean, we were created in a sense to be the spitting image of our Heavenly Father. We were made to reflect Him. And since God is a creator, He's a worker... Part of what it means to bear his image is that we were created to be workers. Work is part of what we do. It's, a, it's in our bones. It's part of our DNA. It's central to our humanity. You know, there's a myth, I think, that floats around the church. and Not, not here necessarily, but just the church in general. And it goes something like this. Who you are is what's important, not what you do. Really? <laughs> I beg to differ. I mean, who you are is important, absolutely, okay? Absolutely. But what you do also matters. Um, for example, uh, guys, I mean, what's the first question a man asks another man? <laughs> what do you do? What's your job? You know? Why is that? It's because what you do for work is central to your role as an image, as an image bearer of God. I, that's why unemployment is so gut-wrenching. It's why Paul tells the Thessalonians, listen, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It's why slothfulness um, is repeatedly viewed as, as being negative in Scripture. Listen, when you stop working, and I don't mean just at, at a job, I don't mean retirement, I mean when you stop doing what's in your bones, your, your, your vocation, your, your work, you, you stop being fully human. You stop being fully awake and, and, and alive. You, you and I, we, we were made to work. Not only is your work a gift from God, 
But God has allowed us, listen to this, he's allowed us to be on his team. This is, this is amazing. God has created us as co-workers with him. See, before God had formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him, before sin ever entered into the world, the writer of Genesis raises a problem. I want you to catch this. Look with me at the end of chapter 2. Look with me at the end of verse 5. Well, let me start beginning at verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not yet caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. There's a problem. There's no man to work the ground, right? So what does God do? Well, he forms man. Look at verse 7. Then God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils from the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God, um, uh, in verse 8, uh, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. Now catch this. God planted the garden in the east, in Eden, and then he puts in that garden Adam. Okay? So why does he put Adam in that garden? Well, look down with me at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it and keep it. God put Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. (laughs) Eden was perfectly suited for Adam. And it was his job to work in that garden and to take care of that garden. Um, You know, Adam was to work and care for what God had planted. There was a partnership thing going on. God created us to work with him. Now, I don't know what kind of work everyone does here, okay? You might be in business. You might be in construction. uh, Your work might be that of a homemaker. uh, You might be a teacher. You might work in a hospital. You might be in a service industry somewhere. Your job might be eight to five, or it might have uh, more unique um, uh, hours. Um, But I want to tell you that your work is valuable. Not just because, you know, you're able to uh, bring home some money to provide for the family, but because you are a co-worker with God in creating and cultivating human culture itself. Now, here's something I find most interesting in verse uh, 15 of chapter 2. Um, I want you to notice this. Look again with me. Verse 15, the Lord, took God, took, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, what? To work it and keep it. That word in Hebrew, the word work here, we've translated work. Um, in Hebrew, that word's translated in a variety of different ways in the Old Testament. It's been rendered work and other places, uh, service, other places, craftsmanship. And in a few other places, it has been translated worship. For example, the word is found, that same Hebrew word is found to describe the hard, back-breaking work uh, of the slaves in Egypt. In other places, it's used for the... uh, craftsmanship, um, the work that artisans did to build the temple. 
And still in another place, that same Hebrew word, catches is used in God's instructions that we are to worship or serve only the Lord our God. You say, well, <laughs> Sutton, why is that so interesting? Well, because what that tells me is that the Old Testament writers understood that our work and our worship, that they're connected. They're connected. That God's original design and desire that our work and our worship be a seamless way of living. Seamless. God designed our work to have both a vertical and horizontal dimension. Our work, as God originally created it, was to be an act of God-honoring worship. Let me put it another way. Our work is to be an act of worship. We are to live and work before an audience of one. With profundity and simplicity, Sarah Drew um, gave a commencement address back in 2016 uh, to her alma mater. Miss Drew, a 2002 graduate of the University of Virginia, she went on from graduation to achieve Hollywood fame, landing in different various roles um, on, on TV shows. As a committed Christian, Drew uh, urged recent graduates of the university in her commencement speech to live their lives before an audience of one. She said this, when the camera isn't on, what do you do? In real time, in real life, when people really need you in order to do what they need to do, how do you show up? She said, I, I mean the real you, not the carefully curated social media version of you, because let's be clear, all the world is a stage. And when we step onto it, we are players performing for our audience. Who we are out of the spotlight, when we're not performing for an audience, who are you? Most of the time, there are no cameras that are rolling. But life is always rolling. Whether you are an intern or the CEO, whether you are running your household or running a company, living in a basement or living in a penthouse, whether you are doing the grunt work or getting the glory, life is always rolling. Life is always rolling, isn't it? And doing our work before an audience of one changes what we do and changes how we do it. Living with this mindset helps us connect our faith with our work. We live before the same audience of one on Mondays as we do on Sundays at worship. Jack Martin's job is nothing special, nothing exotic. No, Martin's is just a band teacher, 12, 13, 14-year-olds in the inner city of San Francisco. For 33 years, he has braved the challenges of less-than-ideal teaching conditions at Ben Franklin Middle School to courageously live out his faith. Over 50% of Martin's Students are from broken homes. The same number are on welfare. Nearly that number come from families where English is not their first language. To that score, add the fact that funding for the arts has been all but cut off in Jack's school district. 
Still, the 56-year-old bearded band teacher shepherds his students through the less-than-green pastures of life. I love these kids, he admits, and they love me. In me, they can see my love for Jesus Christ. Martin's eats lunch with the kids to help them talk through their problems and stays after school to help them with the difficult fingerings on their instruments. Through the mechanics of music, he's able to show his students they are capable of something beautiful. He's a committed follower of Jesus who views his secular work as a sacred call. He is living before an audience of one. You see, your work, whatever it is, your vocation, whatever it is, as long as it's a legitimate work, it is a sacred call. (laughs) It's worth doing because God has given it value. Yes, tomorrow morning you and I will wake up and we'll do what we have so often times done before. We'll head off to work. But this time, when you go, maybe it can be a little bit different. Maybe this time you'll head off to work with a, with a joy, with a, with a satisfaction, with a sense that your work is good. It's good. That your work has value. And that it might bring glory to God. Each week during this series, we thought it would be helpful to ask different people in our church family um, about how they connect their faith to their jobs. In a section that we're just titling uh, Faith on Mondays. Um, so this morning, I have invited Kathy Todd uh, to join me. Um, Kathy, come on up on the platform. Uh, would you welcome Kathy this morning? We're going to be asking three questions each week. Um, It's the same three questions because we want to encourage you to ask yourself these same three questions as well um, about how you can connect uh, your faith on Sundays to your work on Mondays. So, Kathy, first of all, tell us about your job. Sure. I'm a social worker. I have two jobs. I work full-time at a school here in South Minneapolis and part-time at Children's Hospital, also in South Minneapolis. I live nine precious blocks from both my jobs, which is great. So I get to work and live in the community. Okay. At the schools, I, you know, I serve all of our kids. So I, I get to know kids when they start in high five or kindergarten all the way through mm-hmm. fifth grade. I work particularly with our students with special needs. I mm-hmm. serve as part of their special education team. I also support our families who are homeless mm-hmm. and experiencing transitions and Make sure those kids get on the buses and in those cabs at the end of the day so they can get home. I support the rest of the school in a variety of Mm -hmm. just basic Mm -hmm. ways, lunch duty and recess and making sure the days go well. At the hospital, I work primarily in the ER. I support our families. When kids have come in for a behavioral health assessment, they maybe are having thoughts of of harming themselves Mm -hmm. or they've taken some type of gesture in that way. So I'm supporting them through that conversation and those experiences. I support our families anywhere in the hospital when a child has died, supporting the family Mm. in that time Mm. and the staff, and really anything else that comes up in an (laughs) urban level one trauma hospital here in the city. So every day is different at work at both my jobs. Every day is unpredictable and and unique. 
Oh, great, great. So now, tell us uh, a little bit. Um, um, you kind of indicated a little bit there already. Um, how do you live out your faith at, at your work, mm, at yeah. your works, your right. two jobs? Two jobs, <laughs> yeah. When I am talking with kids and families about what's happening, what they're struggling with, mm-hmm. a lot of times people themselves will bring up their own elements of faith, whether mm. it's a parent says, you know, I've been praying about this, or this is such a blessing, thank you for giving us this, or, you know, things like that. I can, it's, it opens that door then mm, where I can yeah, speak about faith. Right, I can right. ask, you know, where do you go to church? Are you connected with the church? Or when kids come to school on Mondays, what did you do this weekend? Well, they went to, they went to church. What did right, you do right, this, right, Kathy? Well, yeah. I was at church yesterday, and then we, right. we can talk about things okay. like that. So when it comes up, it can, yeah, be, yeah. it can be part of the conversation. Yeah. I also... Just in in the expression of my myself, whether my kindness, my my compassion sure. in those settings, that sometimes people can pick up on that. I'll right, have families right. that you will find out that I'm a Christian. Well, we knew it. <laughs> we knew there was something different about you. Or right, yeah. my coworker. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Just having that thing in common as well. Very good. Well, the third question is simply this: How uh, does your work further God's purposes? How do you see that happening? Mm-hmm. You know, I, especially at the hospital, I'm really conscious that I'm meeting most people Mm. at one of the worst days of their lives so far. I'm meeting them when their child has either done something to hurt themselves or is just talking about some really hard feelings. I'm meeting them when their child has experienced a physical trauma. They've ATV rolled over on them or they got stepped on by a horse or all kinds of physical things (laughs) that they come into the trauma bay with or their beloved baby that was born this morning died this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And as, as a person of faith in that yeah. setting, to be able to bring a sense of calm mm-hmm. and a sense of comfort and compassion. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. And, and to be able to walk with them. Yeah. Most of the time, I never see people again yeah. from that time. So to be part of their story yeah. in that yeah. just brief moment. Or the kids at school, you know, I meet them when they're four and five. And I know them until they, they lose most of their teeth. They, they move on to middle school. They learn lots of things. And, and their family remembers us and comes yeah, back yeah. and it's checks in with us. Yeah, yeah. So just to be a part of the fabric of, of their lives as a person of faith yeah, yeah. and to bring that faith with me yeah, into yeah. those conversations and those interactions. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Let's give uh, Kathy a thank you for sharing this morning. Again, opportunities for you to ask those questions. You know, um, how do you live out your faith at work? And uh, how does your work uh, further God's purposes? Um, Hopefully you can begin thinking through that process. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Moses prays in Psalm 90, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, we echo Moses' prayer. We struggle sometimes to see the work that you have given us as a gift from you. We ask that you would change our perspective. Give us your eyes. Might we not only see our works, uh, what we do has value, but how we might partner with you in doing our jobs, our work, our careers, our vocation. And might we live always 
whether it's at, at, at work, whether it's at office, whether it's at home, whether it's at church, might we always live before an audience of one. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.